0: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. And before we jump into the sermon today, I've got good news for you, and I've got bad news for you. Which one do you want First? Yeah, I'm a bad news first kind of guy. All right, here we go. Uh, Bad news is you've probably already noticed no coffee in the Hub today because there's no hub today. So uh, you may have noticed that is all closed off for renovations, it's gonna be closed for the next few weeks. That's kind of our central traffic flow area and mingling area on a Sunday morning. It's just in need of some renovation to make it better at both of those purposes. We'll have that back up and running for you in a few weeks. Thank you for your patience in the meantime. So that means you've probably already experienced, but if you have to get to the other half of the building, you need to go out door one, walk down the sidewalk and enter again through door three. There's people there to help you along the way, signs, all that. I trust that your so, you can figure it out. But just because you don't have coffee, I still expect you to stay awake during the sermon. Deal? We good? All right, okay. Uh, that's the bad news. Here's the good news I'm going to invite our two newest staff members here to join me up here. Would you please welcome with me Joey and Zoe Valentine? <clears throat> Um, Joey and Zoe are gonna be joining our staff next month. They're finishing up their tenure at Ozark Christian College. So they're gonna be moving here to Plainfield from the heavenly, lovely paradise of Joplin, Missouri, where all good things come from. And... It's a joke, okay? Uh, Joey's originally from Council Bluffs, Iowa, actually. Zoe's from Wichita, Kansas, but they're excited to be here. Zoe is gonna be serving as our communications coordinator, and Joey is gonna be our middle school minister. We're so pumped to have them. And you've probably already picked up on this, but like, Zoe and Joey is the coolest couple name ever, isn't it? I'm pretty sure they got married just for the names. I think they should start a band. We'll put it in the job description. It'll be awesome. But hey, when you guys see these guys around in the coming weeks, just say, hey, let them know how glad we are that they are here. And we're gonna jump into God's word here in just a moment, but before we do, can I pray for these two and for us as a church and the legacy that they're going to have here with us? Would you go to our Father with me? Uh, God, we're so grateful, uh, grateful to get to be here today. We're grateful that um, through the blood of your Son and then the gifts of your Holy Spirit that you've given to each of us, you allow us to serve you. And we all get to serve you, Lord, but I'm especially grateful today for these two who've chosen to serve you in this particular way of laying down their lives in vocational ministry, saying, God, we're every tell us to go, we'll go, even if it's Plainfield, Indiana. <laughs> and so, Lord, we are excited to see what you will do through them. We ask that you'd pave the way in every little detail, that you'd surround them with life-giving people, and that through them, you would raise up many workers for your harvest field. Lord, we love you. We're excited to hear from you today. And it's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks, guys. Yeah, platform. That's great. You want to help me out, bro? Sorry. Look, he's doing a great job, isn't he? Thank you, Joey. Um, So when I was a freshman at Ozark, we have the same alma mater. I got to Bible college, and I was kind of like your typical Bible college freshman, a little bit naive. I didn't really know much about how the world worked. A lot of us had like kind of grown up in church. I was a little bit of a bookworm. But when I got there and started classes, I quickly became friends with one of my fellow classmates who was very much not your typical Bible college freshman. Her name was Juliet Rose, and prior coming to Ozark, she had been a prostitute. You see, Juliet had had a really hard life. Uh, She grew up without her dad in the house, and her mom had had a string of really rough relationships. And when Juliet was 15 years old, one of her mom's boyfriends came into her bedroom, and I want to be sensitive to the younger ears in the room, but he expressed his intentions of what he was going to do to her. And so Juliet immediately ran to her mom, and she said, Mom, I'm, I'm not safe in this house. We're not safe in this house. One of us has to go, me or him. We can't be in here together. And her mom looked her in the eyes and said, I'm going to miss you. And so Juliet moved to Las Vegas, where she started to make a living the way that you would expect a 15-year-old girl on her own in Las Vegas to make a living. And with that kind of horrifying life, she had to find some ways to numb the pain. And so she started doing drugs, and meth was her drug of choice, and she did a lot of meth. And along the way, she had a couple of kids, which is not uncommon for young women who are put in that position. And along the way, she got beaten up, and she was robbed at gunpoint, and at one point she was left for dead on the street. And then things got bad. And she got in a car accident where she was driving, and her best friend was killed, And she felt like it was her fault and time goes on and eventually on her ninth time being arrested, her kids were taken away from her. And so here's Juliet and she feels like she's got the blood of her best friend on her hands and she's beaten out and she's addicted and she's been abused and now she doesn't even have her kids to love anymore and she's just absolutely at rock bottom. Her world has spiraled completely out of control, nowhere to turn and into that darkness, God shone a light. And in her very worst moment, somebody came and shared with Juliet about the love of Jesus. And it was actually her dad from prison <laughs> told her, there's a God who made you. And a God who loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. So that Juliet, you can not just be forgiven, you can get a brand new heart. And when she heard the gospel, the lights came on and it set Juliet on a path that eventually led her to Joplin, Missouri, where to this day, she's still a very dear family friend. And I'm telling you, if my friend Juliet walked in here today, you will never meet anybody with more love and joy in their eyes than my friend Juliet Rose. And today, in Mark chapter 14, our text for the day, we're going to meet a woman who's a whole lot like Juliet. Um, I'm going to ask you to read this text with me. We're going to be in the first 10 verses of Mark chapter 14. We'll do the normal deal. I'll read the words in white, and I'd ask you to join me in reading out loud the words in yellow. We'll kind of stop and start a little bit on the way. Mark 14 says this. It says, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him but not during the festival they said or the people may riot now You remember where we are here. We're in Jerusalem on the last week of Jesus' life. On Sunday, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, hailed. He's the one true king. He goes to the temple, turns around, and heads back out. The next day, Monday, he comes back, and on his way into the city, he curses a fig tree, and then he goes in and curses the temple, symbolic of how Jesus says, I'm going to do away with all institutions that are all leaves and no fruit that oppress people. And on Tuesday, Jesus is back at the temple and he gets in a bunch of arguments and debates with these corrupt religious leaders who are trying to trap him. And then on Wednesday, those religious leaders finally realize they're not going to be able to trap him, so they're going to have to kill him. And while these religious leaders are scheming to kill Jesus, what's Jesus doing on Wednesday? Mark goes on and he says this. While he was in Bethany, it's a couple miles away, reclining at the table... They're scheming to kill him, and Jesus is totally relaxed. He's not worried about it. And he's reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. Jesus is hanging out with the leper. If you're a Jew, that's a sketchy place to be. But Jesus kind of likes sketchy places, and he kind of likes shady people. And that's good news for me this morning. And look what happened. It says a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Nard is a kind of perfume you could only find in the Himalayas. It's incredibly expensive. He'll go on to tell us it's worth about a year's wages. We we could say this is about $100,000 worth of perfume that this woman comes into the room with, and what does she do with $100,000 worth of perfume? Mark says this. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So it's kind of amazing on the bookends of this story, at the beginning we have the religious leaders scheming to kill Jesus. At the end we have Judas scheming to betray Jesus. And yet while they're scheming, in the middle of this story we see this woman who in a radical act of pure devotion pours out on Jesus' head $100,000 worth of perfume just to express her love. And Jesus says that is a story that should be told every time we preach the gospel. And so in light of this story, I'd like to ask us three questions today from this story to encourage us to see Jesus the way this woman saw Jesus, to honor King Jesus the way that she honored King Jesus. Three questions for you today. And here's question number one. What has Jesus done for you? What has Jesus done Jesus says this woman gives us a beautiful example of the kind of worship we are to give Jesus. And so if worship is this conversation between us and God, worship is never a conversation that we start. God always starts the conversation and we respond. Worship never starts with what we do. It's always a response to what Jesus has done. So what has Jesus done for you Let's say it like this, I could, uh, I could come to church today and as a preacher, it would be fairly easy for me to wag my finger at you and say, you need to be a better Christian, you need to read your Bible more, and you need to pray more, and you need to come to church more, and you need to disciple your kids and your grandkids more, and you need to be more patient, and you need to give more money, And you need to use your gifts more to serve God's kingdom. And those are all really good things to do. But that only goes so far. And if we start by telling you what to do, we will lose the gospel in a heartbeat. Because the gospel doesn't start by telling us what to do. It starts with reminding us of what God has already done. So what has Jesus done for you? It's like this. Um, A few months ago... Um, one of our little boys was having a birthday. And so we were going to have just a little kind of family birthday party for him. Not a big deal. We're just going to kind of decorate the house and, and celebrate just our family. And, uh, and so, if, actually, I don't know if you know this, but if you take the word procrastinator and then you take out a few letters, you get the name Proctor. That's a true story. Try it this afternoon. Um <laughs> And so, like, I honestly don't even remember which kid it was. That's where we are in life right now. Um, But the night before, whichever kid's birthday this was, I realized we have not done anything to prepare for this child's birthday. The house is not decorated. We have nothing in the home. So trying to be an adequate father, I set out, and I'm going to go get some decorations the night before his birthday and decorate the house for when he wakes up. And so I set out to go get some balloons. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently, actually, all of the party stores in the world are in collusion with one another. Um and apparently there's some massive shortage and there's no helium to be found anywhere in Hendricks County. I didn't know if you knew this, but I found this out that night. And so what I had to do is I had to just buy a normal package of plain old balloons and go home and get dizzy blowing them up myself. And the next morning when our little boys came down the steps, you could just see the profound disappointment all over their faces because a bunch of balloons laying around on the floor doesn't quite have the same amount of magic as a bunch of balloons floating in the air, right? And so the boys asked, Daddy, what happened? What's wrong with your balloons? Why aren't they flying? And uh, some of you science people in the room are wondering the same thing, like, yeah, Proctor, we listen to you blow hot air every week. Hot air rises, shouldn't those balloons fly? Ha, 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 yeah. So, Daddy, why aren't your balloons flying? And so, like good parents, Rebecca and I immediately go into cover-up mode. You've been there before, right? And so we start saying, Oh, kids, actually, this kind of balloon, these are way better than those lousy balloons that fly in the air. These are super special balloons because with these balloons, you get to play an incredible game called see who can keep their balloon off the floor the longest. It's awesome. And some of you probably feel like your Christian life is playing this game of seeing how long I can keep my soul off the ground. And you just got to keep hitting it up over and over and over again and try not to let it fall because as soon as you stop touching that balloon, it'll plummet right to the dirt. And so you come to church and preacher man says, you need to be more generous And so you hit the balloon in the air and you try to give a little money and you try to be more generous because it's what you're supposed to do if you're a Christian. And you come to church the next week and preacher man says, you need to pray more. And so you go home and you try to set your alarm 10 minutes earlier and you hit that balloon in the air and then when the alarm goes off, you're tired, so you actually hit the snooze. But later on in the week, you actually do make time to pray and you're discouraged because you sit down and you immediately get distracted about the 10 things you need to do and you don't even know what to say when you pray and it feels like you just say the same things over and over again, but it's what you're supposed to do to be a good Christian, right? And then you come to church the next week and preacher man says, hey, you need to tell your friends about Jesus more. And so you hit the balloon in the air and you spend all week looking for an awkward door and a conversation to try to tell your friends, hey, Jesus loves you and share your story, but you're not sure you're really good at it. You just feel like you're supposed to because that's what good Christians do. And if you spend your whole life like this, just trying to keep that balloon from hitting the ground, it's no wonder in your walk with Jesus, you end up discouraged and exhausted. Surely there's a better way to keep a balloon in the air, right? Right? And of course there is. You got to fill it with helium, don't you? Because what matters in the balloon, you know this, my balloon has disappeared, but let's pretend it's down there, okay? What matters is what's inside the balloon, right? And, And so if this balloon is remembering what Jesus has done for you, and that balloon is remembering what I think I'm supposed to do for Jesus then if you always start with what I think I'm supposed to do for him, you will end up discouraged and exhausted and plummeting downward anytime time you miss a step. And you'll end up trying harder to do better and just feeling like you never really get it. But if you start not with what I can do for him, but with what he has done for me, I promise you the rest will take care of itself. So what has Jesus done for you? That's what this woman here starts with. She starts with what Jesus has done for her. So what has Jesus done for her? Well, Mark's gospel here doesn't tell us who this woman is, but we get a few clues. Remember, Jesus is in the village of Bethany. You might remember Jesus had some friends who lived in Bethany. And actually, in the other gospels, they tell this same story. John chapter 12 tells us this same story, and he tells us that this woman is none other than Mary... Not Mary Magdalene and not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Do you remember what Jesus did for Lazarus? Raised him from the dead. So Mary, what has Jesus done for you? He raised my brother Lazarus from the dead. And so Mary comes, and she pours out $100,000 of perfume on Jesus' feet, not because she feels like it's what she's supposed to do, I guess, if she's a follower of Jesus, but because she's so moved with gratitude because God gave her her brother back. And the king of heaven came, and he brought resurrection life where there once was death. So what could I possibly give to say thank you? And if Jesus did that for you, wouldn't you be grateful too? So what has Jesus done for you, Christian? What has Jesus done for you? Martin Luther, he calls it the great exchange. What has Jesus done for you? Paul tells us what the great exchange is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says this is what Jesus has done for you, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the great exchange that what was ours is now his and what was his is now ours. What has Jesus done for you? Imagine your darkest moment, your deepest failure, your most painful shame and sin and regret, and Jesus looks at it and he sees it and he says, come here, give me that. And from the cross bearing the full weight of our rebellion, he says, here, take this instead. And he clothes us with the spotless robes of his own righteousness in place of the rags of our rebellion. He gave us life in place of death. He gave us hope in place of fear. He gave us peace in place of chaos. He gave us purpose in place of vanity. He gave us contentment in place of striving. He gave us relationship in place of loneliness. What has Jesus done for you? Look at the cross. He experienced betrayal so that you could know faithfulness. And he stood trial alone so that you could have an advocate. And he was condemned so that you could be set free. And he was crowned with thorns so that we could be crowned with gold. And he suffered thirst so that you could taste living water. And he was forsaken by his father so that you and I could be welcomed into his father's family as sons and daughters of the king. He shed his crimson blood so that you could be washed as white as snow. His heart was pierced so that your heart could be patched up. He was put in the grave so that the grave could not hold us. He was crowned king on a cross at a coronation in the capital with a crown of thorns so that one day you and I could be seated with him on the very thrones of heaven. What has Jesus done for you? The great exchange. And that's the helium. And so if that's the motivator, if, if we start by always remembering what God has done, if that's what motivates Mary here to this lavish act of worship, then the natural second question is this. What has worship cost you? And um, We all know that The cost of the gift reflects the depth of the love, right? That's why the jewelry store will tell you if you're getting engaged, you're supposed to spend two months' salary on an engagement ring, right? Now, when I was in college and I discovered love for the first time, she was gorgeous, she was curvy, she was beautiful. I was head over heels. There's a picture of her. Isn't she beautiful? (laughs) Had to have her, so I bought her and I loved that motorcycle. Tell you what, man, love that thing. That was my dream. I had this nasty mullet, this dirty little mustache. (laughs) This is free, not in the Bible. Fathers, grandfathers, do not let your daughters date someone who looks like that, okay? (laughs) Free advice. But then I fell in true love, and I met this cute senior girl named Rebecca Moyers, and man, oh, man, I was head over heels. And so then, in light of that love, I made a previously unthinkable decision. I cut my mullet. You're welcome. Uh, And I sold my motorcycle, and I used the money to buy a diamond ring. And to this day, Rebecca wears my motorcycle on her hand. As proof of my love, greater love hath no man than this. I think that's in the Bible. <laughs> and was it worth it? Well, yes, yeah, like it was, right? Okay, she's not in this service. Yes, of course it was worth it, right? Because the cost of the gift reflects the depth of the love, and I haven't regretted it for a second. Because she's worth it, isn't she? That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, hey, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, remember, it always starts with remembering what Jesus has done. And so when we remember God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship because the cost of the gift reflects the depth of the love. So what has worship cost you? Let's think about what it cost Mary here in Mark chapter 14. First thing it cost her was her dignity. Mark tells us that she poured the perfume on his head which is fairly standard, commonplace practice, right? That, that's an okay thing to do. It's Palestine, after all. It's not, you're taking a shower every day. Water's in a little bit shortage. You're getting hot and sweaty walking around. And so in those days, it's a lot like middle school church camp, right? In the absence of bathing, you just spray on a bunch of extra stuff and it'll cover it up, hopefully, right? So you would anoint the head of a guest with some oil. That was common practice. But John goes even further and he tells us what else she did. In John chapter 12, it says, she also poured it on Jesus's feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary, that's okay. Pour, pour a drop or two on his head, but on his feet? That's servant's work. And, and Mary, you, you don't let down your hair in public. That's scandalous. And so the, the whole room starts to murmur, oh my goodness, what, what is she doing? And and while they are marveling at her lack of dignity, who is Mary marveling at? Jesus. Because the cost of the gift reflects the depth of the love. It cost her her dignity, it also cost her security. Now, I'm speculating a little bit here, but the text doesn't indicate ever that Mary and Martha are married. We know that they live with their brother Lazarus. We can assume Lazarus is probably the breadwinner, but we know Lazarus has already died once, right? Who's to say it won't happen again? And in those days, it's hard for, for a single woman, two single women to provide for themselves. They might get put in a position like Juliet was in. And so this, this perfume, this is their nest egg. This is their security. Maybe this is a family heirloom. Maybe it's been passed down from generation to generation. Maybe this is their retirement savings. $100,000 worth of perfume. This is what's gonna save us. And yet, and yet when Mary sees that jar of perfume, Sitting on the shelf every day i, I don 't know what it was there for, but maybe she would maybe she was going to use it to anoint her brother lazarus 's body after he died, but she doesn 't have to anymore and so every day she walks by and she sees it and it 's a reminder to her of what jesus has done for her. And so maybe she hatches this scheme. I'm just, I'm just gonna pour it out to say thank you. Maybe she, maybe she tells Martha and Lazarus, and, 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 and if I'm Lazarus and, and, and we're hearing Mary say this, I'm thinking, Mary, listen, I know you're grateful. We're all grateful for what Jesus has done. That's fine. Pour out a couple drops. Tell him thank you. Yes, of course, let's give him a gift. I love your heart in that. But let's, let's be reasonable, Mary. Don't be crazy. Don't do something silly. All, all, all things in moderation here. And yet Mary knows that caution and moderation are often the enemy of devotion. And that if your worship makes complete sense to the world, then maybe it isn't lavish enough. And so this costs her her dignity, and it costs her her security. What has worship cost you? I'm not telling you that you have to donate a year's salary to the church this morning. Although if you offer, I will not say no, for the record, (laughs) It wasn't about the amount. Jesus valued the two pennies given by that widow two chapters earlier, just as much as he valued this. And and the clue to what Jesus values in our act of worship toward him, we see in verse eight. Jesus says this of Mary, he says, she did what she could. The widow's two last pennies, $100,000 worth of perfume, they did what they could. If Jesus looks at you today, if he looks at the way you are giving, if he looks at the way you are living, if he looks at the posture of your heart toward him, financially and spiritually and relationally, would he say, yes, he's doing what he could? She she did what she could. That worship is costing her something, and that shows me the depth of her love. Question number one, what has Jesus done for you? Question number two, what has worship cost you? And I don't even know where my balloon went, but... But maybe if you're honest this morning and you look down there and you're thinking, yeah, I, I, I think that's me. I, I just don't feel like the helium's in it. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel the drive. I don't feel the devotion. I, like, I don't feel the impulse in me to lay down my life in sacrificial worship for my king. And, and if you're just totally honest with where you are spiritually this morning, if that's you, then we have to ask question number three. And it's a tough question, but it's how much is Jesus worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to you? Because we can see to Mary how much Jesus is worth to her. And when Mary pours this perfume out at Jesus' feet, you saw the way the people in the room reacted. Everybody jumps on her case, right? Mary, what are you doing? Mary, we could have sold that. Think about how many people we could have lifted out of poverty with that money. And honestly, it seems like they have a point, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus cares a lot about the poor. Read through the Gospels. And yet, again, Mark doesn't name names here, but John chapter 12 actually tells us that the one who raised that objection to Mary, Mary, we could have given that to the poor, it was Judas Iscariot. And Jesus, he sees the heart, and he knows Judas isn't saying that because he cares about the poor. Judas is saying that because he cares about money, and he's been stealing from the money bags for the whole three years of my ministry now. And if Mary's actions show how much Jesus was worth to her, then Judas's actions show how much Jesus was worth to him too. And maybe when he sees that perfume poured out and wasted, maybe he thinks, yeah, that's my life. I just, I wasted this whole time. This is not the kind of king I wanted. This is not the kind of kingdom I expected. And so right after this, Judas goes out and he sells out Jesus to the people who want to kill him for money. How much was Jesus worth to Judas? 30 pieces of silver, petty cash. So how much is Jesus worth to you? If you would ask the Apostle Paul later that question, he'd tell you the answer for him. The Apostle Paul looked at his accomplishments, he looked at his intelligence, he looked at all his accolades, and he looked at his resume, which is a way more impressive resume than any of us in this room. And here's what Paul said about it. Philippians 3, he said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Move it from one column to the other. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. He gets even stronger in his language. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Man, can you say that today? Yet, yeah, my, my resume, my money, my accomplishments, my, my relationships, all of it, it's garbage compared to knowing Him. Because that's how much He's worth to me. So, how much is Jesus worth to you? Uh, there's a book that came out not long ago called Everything Sad Is Untrue an incredible story. It's the autobiographical story of Daniel Nairi, who fled from the country of Iran as a seven-year-old boy with his mother because his mom had just become a Christian. Now, before his mom had become a Christian, their family, they had everything. His mom was a doctor. She was well-educated. They had a good family. They were wealthy, well-respected in the community, and they were devout Muslims. But then one day, Daniel's mom came across a Bible, and she read it, and she started following Jesus. And in Iran, if you start following Jesus, that's a capital offense. They'll kill you for it. And so they have to flee the country. They end up coming to the U.S., where the U.S. does not recognize his mom's medical license, so she just has to start working hourly jobs, just trying to scrape enough to get by. And I'll let Daniel take it from here. Here's how he describes it. He says, my mom became a Christian, not just a regular one who keeps it in their pocket. She fell in love. She wanted everyone to have what she had, to realize that in other religions you have rules and codes and obligations to follow to earn good things. But all you had to do with Jesus was believe that he was the one who died for you. And she believed. When I tell the story, this is the part where grown-ups always interrupt me. They say, okay, but, but why did she convert? Because up to that point I've told them about all the villages my grandfather owned, all the gold, my mom's own medical practice... All the amazing things she had that we don't have anymore because she became a Christian. All the money she gave up. And so we're poor now. But I don't have an answer for them. So I just say what my mom says when people ask her. She looks him in the eye and she says, because it's true. It's true And it's more valuable than $7 million in gold coins and thousands of acres of Persian countryside and 10 years of education to get a medical degree and all your family and a home and even maybe your life. My mom wouldn't have made the trade otherwise. If you believe that it's true, that there's a God and that he wants you to believe in him and he sent his son to die for you, then it has to take over your life. It has to be worth more than everything else. There is no middle. She had all that wealth. The love of all those people she'd helped in her clinic. They treated her like a queen, and she's poor now. People spit on her in buses. She's a refugee in places people hate refugees. And she'll tell you, it's worth it. Jesus is better. It's true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So how much is Jesus worth to you? Will you waste your time on him? Will you waste your retirement on him? Will you waste your hobbies on him? Will you waste your money on him? Will you waste your kids and your grandkids on him? Will you waste your career on him? Because he's worth it. And in his death, he's proven his love. In his resurrection, he's proven his power. In his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, he's proven his continuing reign. And so now you and I get to, in answer to this question, join with the chorus of heaven today to say, yes, Revelation chapter 5, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Is he worth it? Yes. Yes. Juliet Rose started a ministry back in Joplin, Missouri to help other women who were recovering from addiction, to help women who were making the transition out of sex trafficking. And every single week, if you go to chapel at Ozark Christian College, sitting right there on the front row is Juliet Rose and all her girls, and they have a good time. And they're jumping up and down and raising their hands in worship and dancing up and down the aisles and hooping and hollering in the sermon. I tell you, she's a lot of fun to preach to. (laughs) And from the outside looking in, if you walk into the room, it looks like, man, that's a bunch of ladies who've had a really hard life. But Jesus looks on the inside and he sees worship. He sees they get it. They've been listening. They know how much I'm worth. They remember just what I've done for them. Juliet remembers and so she gets it, and Mary, Mary gets it. Remember, she's the one who's been listening. She's the one who sat at Jesus' feet. She's the one who understands, even when nobody else does, that Jesus is going to die. And so Jesus says, she anointed me not just with any old perfumes, She anointed me for my burial. And what Jesus means by that is he means that this gift from Mary, this was just a signpost pointing to an even greater gift to come. A gift not for Jesus, but a gift from Jesus. A gift that was infinitely more humiliating. A gift that was infinitely more costly. Why in the world would Jesus give a gift like that? Why would he waste it all? Because he thought you were worth it. You know, they say that um, smell is the sense that is most closely linked to our memories. And, and you know that feeling, right? When you catch a whiff of fresh cut grass or new shoes or your mom's fresh baked cookies. Or that one perfume, and it just takes you right back, doesn't it? And so I can imagine that maybe as Jesus went about the rest of his week in Jerusalem, walking and talking and preaching and praying, that maybe a scent followed him through the week. The scent of wealth, the scent of royalty. Jesus smelled like a king. And when he died on the cross, Mark tells us that the women were there. And again, he doesn't name names, so I don't know who, but you got to think that Mary must have been there, that they were the ones who stuck with him to the end. And if Mary was there, I wonder, I wonder if she got down on her knees at the cross, and I wonder then if she caught a whiff, and it took her back. And I wonder if the other women around smelled the same thing, and they remembered that moment when she'd broken that jar. Mary, what are you doing? But at that moment as Jesus hung on the cross and they smelled the bittersweet aroma of death, they knew that gift had not been a waste after all, because nothing given to Jesus ever is. And when the Romans would crucify somebody, They didn't crucify him way up high like the pictures show. They actually crucified him right down close to the ground, their feet just about two feet off the ground, so that the person dying would be eye level with the passersby on the road to make it as humiliating as possible because the point was to send a message. This is what happens to people who claim to be king. And so as Jesus is hanging there and if Mary is down there on her knees in front of the cross, she's got to be face to face with his feet. You gotta think that when Mary saw those feet covered in mud and dirt and blood, you gotta think she wanted to wash them again. Oh, just one more time, let me, let me wash them again. But we know that it was the blood from those feet that was washing her. And it's the blood from those feet that washes you and me. And so I'll ask you again. What has Jesus done for you? And what has worship cost you? And is he worth it? And today we get to join with the chorus of heaven and say yes, yes he is. So we're going to receive this gift together. this gift that was poured out more expensive than any perfume. So I'm gonna give you a few moments to be with your king. And as you are, when you're ready, receive the gift of this little piece of bread that is Christ's body nailed to the cross Remember, the cost of the gift reflects the depth of the love. And then I'll pray and we'll receive the cup together that represents the blood of Christ that washes you and I clean, the great exchange. God, what kind of love is this? That you have seen our worst. That in every one of our darkest moments, you weren't far away. You were there with us. And that even then, you said, yes, I will bear the full weight of your sin and your rebellion. I will take your death upon myself so that you can have my life and you can have my joy and you can have my peace you can have my son. Thank you, thank you. And so we receive this gift so gladly and we can't ever hope to repay it. But our simple prayer is that from the cross, you would send us forward to pour out our lives for you so that others can know this love that we have found. You are so good. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. I won't pretend to know what you're going through right now, but... uh, Man, if you just need strengthened today, if you feel like I'm, I'm weak and I just I love to talk, I just need to be prayed over. Our prayer team is going to be around the edges of the room like they always are throughout the remainder of the service. They'll have their green lanyards on. And if you want to surrender to the king for the first time, they're the people to talk to also. We are ready to receive you. And now that we have remembered what Jesus has done, we get to pour out our voices to him and worship our king. Would you stand with me?